Welcome back to Crawford Insights, the podcast where we take a recent post from one of our perspective pieces and go more in-depth with the author. I'm your host, Tom Bueller, Portfolio Manager at Crawford, and today we'll be discussing why dividends matter with our founder, John Crawford III. Welcome back for another episode, John. Thank you, Tom. Always glad to be here. Always glad to have you. (laughs) You've recently written a three-part series on the topic of why dividends matter. The three subtitles are Income and Growth of Income, Stock Price Appreciation, and Downside Protection. I'd like to spend some time on all three, but the bulk of our discussion will be focused on the downside protection article. Clearly, dividends matter quite a bit to us here at Crawford, as well as our clients, so let's go ahead and spend some time on the topic. John, I've heard you say before that we use dividends as a proxy for quality. What is it about dividends that offers insights into the quality nature of a business? Yes, we've always really focused on quality as really kind of the starting point for our whole investment effort. What we found is that dividends really give us a nice insight into quality, an entry point into quality, because of a number of things, one of which is kind of the idea of certainty. You think about quality and what it means. In some ways, it's difficult to define. You might say it's easier to feel and experience than it is to define. But quality is just a composite characteristic that resides in companies. The dividend tells you a little bit about that because what happens is if you think about quality and the characteristics of quality of stability, more certainty of return, narrowing the range of outcomes, all of those things, It all kind of comes back to making an investment where you have a higher level of confidence. Dividend-paying companies provide confidence because, principally, you know you're going to get something. And companies that have paid dividends for a long time, particularly those that have raised their dividend on a very consistent basis, that just increases the amount of certainty that you're going to have a return. Now, When I say certainty, we have to speak in relative terms because there's really no ultimate certainty. But anything that you can do to raise your confidence level, narrow your range of opportunity for getting a return, that's a good thing from an investment standpoint. We think that the dividend is just an excellent way of aligning ourselves with quality. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It doesn't mean that positive outcomes are exclusive to dividend-paying stocks, but it does, as you noted, give you a higher level of certainty that you're more likely to have that outcome. Absolutely. In the article on income and growth of income, we discussed dividends as the silent factor in equity returns. What impact have they historically had on returns, and why are they so often overlooked? Well, I, I think they're overlooked because they're silent. <laughs> they, don't, they don't jump up and shout about themselves. You know, if you look in the uh, Wall Street Journal on the uh, stock tables back in the uh, section where the market data is, every day there's a little table that shows the companies that have increased their dividend the previous day. And it's usually six or seven, maybe eight sometimes, sometimes none. But it's just tucked away kind of on the back page, and it's a fairly obscure table. Contrast that with a company, say a market leader, that announces its earnings, and it may be a headline on the business page. 
It's just a contrast. One is a sign of progress, the dividend increase. The other is a sign of progress, their earnings release, but one is much more prominent than the other. Of course, one has to do with the other because dividend increases come from earnings increases. What happens is people tend to focus so much more on the earnings of a company, which are very important. I just like to use the word silent factor because it's something that is going on underneath the surface that is not noticed, that has a powerful impact on returns over time. If you have a dividend that's paid you 20 cents a quarter and it goes to 22 cents a quarter, that's a 10% increase. That's just real money, okay? And what it does It just adds to the intrinsic value of the company because it's just paying you more. The silent factor is a very important factor. Dividends have been a major contributor to the total return of equities over long periods of time, as high as 45%, as low as 35%. It fluctuates from time to time, but that's a big percentage. And so it's worth paying attention to We love the silent factor. Yeah, and I think that stat you referenced at the end with the percentage is something that would surprise most people. They wouldn't expect somewhere in the neighborhood of 40% of their returns historically to have come from dividends. It comes and goes. Dividends are now sharing the limelight a little bit with share buybacks. We like to think in terms of total compensation to shareholders share buybacks and dividends, but we don't want that to go too far because share buybacks are important and can enhance return, but there's nothing like getting the cash from a dividend. Well, let's shift our focus a little bit and focus on the stock price appreciation article. In order to help people grasp how a rising dividend can lead to stock prices, we've often used the analogy of a rental house. Can you walk us through that thinking? Sure. It's a very simple illustration, but I think it intrinsically makes so much sense. What we're talking about here is really how rising dividends can force the price of a stock up, okay? And the analogy is, if I were to go out and buy a house in Atlanta and rent it and say, next year, I'm able to raise the rent 6%, and the next year, I'm able to raise the rent another 6%. Well, That investment is providing me more return each year, which means that that investment is worth more. And it's the same way with dividends. As dividends increase, stocks tend to rise over time. Now, they don't move in lockstep because there are just so many other factors involved. But I just think if you think about a house being worth more after 10 years than it was when you bought it because the rent has gone up 6% a year, you just can apply that same analogy to stocks, and it works. We can show you any number of charts where the dividend line and the price line is fairly consistent. That's why we like stocks that raise their dividend every year, because it just makes them more valuable. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of, like you said, intuitive sense when you think about the fact that the cash flow being generated by the investment property, whether that property is a, a home or a stock, if you're generating more cash flow, then it's worth more to you. Exactly. And it, it will be worth more to somebody else who's going to pay you for it. Right. Yeah. So you have if that. If they purchase it. You have that option to, to sell the asset as well. 
In the downside protection article, you discussed three ways dividends can provide that protection. Let's go through those. The first is dividends are always positive. While this seems somewhat obvious, the power often gets lost on people. Can you walk us through the mechanics of how this helps provide downside protection? Consider two stocks, theoretically. One does not pay a dividend. Another one pays a dividend that yields 3%, okay? Say we have a bad market. Both stocks decline by 20%. Well, one stock is actually down 20%. The other stock is down 20%, but you've got 3% from the dividend. So it's only down 17% in terms of total investment return, which is, of course, the way we look at it around here. That is one way it just cushioned your decline. But where it really matters is on the way back up. For instance, if you go down 20% and you want to get back even, you got to go up 25%. Right. If you go down 17%, you only have to go up 20%. Plus, you'll have the 3% on the way back as well, okay? I mean, it's just, this is why dividends are so important. They give you something. They give you something. Just the fact that you can count on the dividend year in and year out, it just protects you on the downside. You point out that businesses with sustainable dividends tend to be more stable and profitable. How are those factors linked? What we're looking for is companies that increase their dividends year in and year out very consistently. So what kind of business is it that's able to do that? I mean, there are a lot of cyclical factors in our economy. Some businesses arise rapidly during economic expansions. They get damaged in economic declines. There's a tremendous amount of volatility in their stock prices. Their dividends may, they may pay a dividend, they may not. They may cut the dividend, whatever. What we're looking for is stability. We want a business that is an organic mechanism that tends to control its own destiny, so to speak, regardless of economic factors, again, speaking relatively. We want companies that have a strong balance sheet. We want companies that have deep management teams, experienced management teams. We want companies that have significant market share, some kind of edge in the marketplace because of their products. We also like companies that sell things that are in constant demand, regardless of economic environments. So these are all things that come into play in the investment equation for us. We think this is the way to do it. Yeah, those certainly are a list of attractive attributes that you just noted there. Finally, during periods of stock market stress, investors often reposition their holdings and do so with a flight to quality. How do dividends come into play during these periods? I think it goes back to what I was talking about with regard to certainty. When the economic environment or the market environment becomes uncertain, when there's a lot of volatility, downside, whatever, people just, they want something to hold on to. They just naturally move toward something that's strong, something that they can grasp. I think it's a very human tendency in a period of uncertainty to seek certainty. That's just a natural human response to uncertain companies that offer a certain amount of certainty become more attractive. 
you see it time and time again, and this just works out in our return patterns here. We invest in quality, which is another way of talking about certainty to a certain extent. What happens is, in really strong up markets, quality doesn't necessarily outperform. It does sometimes, but it doesn't necessarily. In fact, because quality has less risk in up markets where risk is not a factor, it tends to trail. So our pattern will be to participate nicely in an up market, but then on the downside, the opposite is true. There, risk becomes a factor, and we gain protection on the downside through the dividend and through the quality. So our return pattern, because we go up less and come down less in different market environments, we just narrow down and normalize our return pattern more so than other investors might. We think that's a very attractive proposition. Our clients seem to appreciate it, and it enables you, by the way, to effectively compound at a better rate because your rate of return tends to be more stable. Pardon me for a long answer. That's perfectly fine. Everything that we invest in on the stock side here has a dividend requirement to it. So we're, of course, focused on companies that are paying dividends. Other investors take a different approach, and some may or may not purchase dividend-paying stocks. There was recently an article in the Wall Street Journal talking about Warren Buffett's investment approach and specifically focusing on the importance of dividends to the companies that he likes to buy. Can you talk through some of the examples that were highlighted in that? Sure. I think that if I can recall these correctly, a Warren Buffett bought his first position in Coca-Cola back in maybe uh, 1994, and he invested $1.3 billion in Coke. That position is now, I guess it's producing him $700 million in income now. On an annual basis, right? Yes, every year, $700 million. And remember we talked about how rising dividends increase the value of a stock? The $1.3 billion price that he paid is now $25 billion. Rising income produces rising values. I guess American Express is another example that was given. That was purchased in 1995 for $1.3 billion. It's now producing $302 million per year. $1.3 billion is now worth $22 billion market value. I'm delighted that Mr. Buffett has had such a wonderful experience with these dividends because it just illustrates what we do. We've seen the same kind of results from long-term holdings. And I think that's an important point that I'd like to make. He bought these in 1994 and 1995. That's, you know, 30 years close to it. There's something to be said for really owning companies. I'll quote Buffett again. He said, we don't buy stocks. We select companies. So there's this whole idea of ownership. I talked about thinking about a company as an organic enterprise that has the ability to function in such a way that it tends to control its own destiny. Why wouldn't you just become a part of that enterprise? And if they're raising their dividend, and if the price is increasing year over year over year, why wouldn't you just stay with it? and just compound up. I think that is such a superior approach, which is our approach, by the way, to trading stocks. We look at them as businesses. 
if you can just think about, well, would I like to own that company? Yeah, I'd like to own that company. Then own it and just be with it. Now, that doesn't mean you never sell stocks, but what you'd like to do is find something that you can own for a long period of time because that's when compounding really comes to your benefit. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right about that, that if you can hold things for the long term, your outcome likely increases. We think so. John, dividends obviously matter to us at Crawford and for our clients. They've mattered for over 40 years. With heightened levels of uncertainty surrounding the economy and the market, now certainly seems like a time when investors are likely to value them more than they have in other points in time. Thanks for taking the time to cover the three articles and for sharing your thoughts on why dividends matter. That concludes our show for today. If you haven't already done so, be sure to check out John's three articles on why dividends matter on our website at insights.crawfordinvestment.com forward slash perspectives. Subscribe to the Perspectives pieces while you're there and be sure to join us for another episode next month.